All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be looking at Matthew 20, 20 through 28 this morning. And I want to preach today on how to be a great Christian. That's the title of the sermon, how to be a great Christian. And I think we should all want to be. This is something that we should all want to hear today. Everybody in here should want to be a great Christian. We talked about Jonathan Edwards in Sunday school this morning, and one of his great, the great goals of his life was to be the greatest Christian of his generation. And I think we should all uh, have that same motivation, that we want to be great. We want to be the best that we can for our God. We want to give him great glory. And God doesn't get any glory out of us being a mediocre Christian. He doesn't get any glory out of us being at the bottom of the rung or being the worst Christian. I think God gets the most glory out of us being the greatest Christian that we can be. So I want to show you today in this passage how to be a great Christian. And I want to lay it out here for you how we can all walk out of here and into the new year being a great Christian. So let's stand together and I'll read these verses to you starting in, in uh, Matthew 20, verse 20. We'll read through verse 28. I think it's a great passage for us today. Uh, starting there in verse 20, on uh, how to be a great Christian. Verse 20 says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, that would be James and John's mother, came to Jesus with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on the right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, You shall, in, shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, the word chief there is first. It goes along with what we've been studying. Let him be your servant. Even as a son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And to give his life a ransom for many. So that's the passage today we're going to look at and how to be a great Christian. Let's pray together and we'll study this passage. Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to meet again, to open up your word, to sing your praises. And God, we are humbled by this, that you allow us this opportunity. Um, I'm humbled by the opportunity to preach today, that you let me open up your, your word and to preach it. And God, I ask that you would help me, enable me to do the very best that I can do to present these truths to the people sitting in these pews, that we may learn, God, what you say about greatness in the kingdom. We don't want to be great in the world's eyes, God. We want to be great in your eyes. So help us to do that. And I believe every single one of us can be great if we do what you tell us to do here. So help us to do that today, God. Help me, enable me to preach this well and help the people in the pews to hear it well that we may apply this to our lives. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Some of you guys know this about me, some of you don't, but one of my great interests in life, and you, you guys may think this is a, a weird thing, but one of my great interests, and I've, I've passed this interest off to, to Gracie, and we share this interest together, is that, that we have, a, I would say, a, an infatuation, a, a great interest in royalty, in, in, the, in England, in, in the Queen of England, and, and the crown. We, we, we love that. Me and Grace will sit and watch shows about it, we watch documentaries about it, there's books that we read about it, articles that we read about it. It, it, it seems like we're just overwhelmed with wanting to know uh, different things about England and the Queen of England. And, and there's this one show that we, me and Gracie have been watching together, and it goes from the time that the Queen Elizabeth became the Queen of England all the way up to the point of today. And, and one of these, one thing that stands out to me as we watch it is the difference between the royalty and the servants. The Queen of England, I, I, I think this is amazing how they do things, but everything that she that needs to be done in her life, she has somebody that does it for her. I mean, as soon as she wakes up, and you guys may not be interested in this at all, this is just my interest, so you guys will have to bear with me on this. As soon as she wakes up, she has servants that are, that are standing at the door and bringing her a breakfast and helping her getting dressed. And, and she sits down and, and she has her, her cup of coffee, which I think she, hers is probably tea. But they have, they have, she has her cup of tea there and, and they're pouring the cream in and they're, they're putting the sugar in. And she just sits there and waits. And then she goes throughout her day and, and again they get her dressed and they, they open the doors for her and they drive her everywhere. And these servants are constantly doing everything that she asked them to do. If she told them to jump, they'd say how high. I mean, it's a constant with her. And then she goes throughout her day and, and, and they'll, they'll hand her papers. And I'm, the only thing she has to do is sign her name. I mean, it's just a constant here and a constant there. Somebody at her beck and call. And then as she comes home in the evening, there's somebody that helps her get, get undressed and, and to put her bed clothes back on. And, and they pull down her, 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 her blankets and they fluff her pillows. And, and she lays down and she hasn't done anything all day long. And her servants are, are sweating. They've worked so hard. Now I want to ask you a question. As you look at her life and, and the servants that serve her, which one would you rather be? Would you rather be the Queen of England and have everything in the world done for you? Servants putting your shoes on. Servants putting the cream in your coffee. Servants turning the TV channel for you. Or would you rather be the servant? who is doing everything for somebody else. Or ask this question, because I, I think I know the answer to this. The answer is, and I think 10 out of 10, every, everybody in here, no doubt, I, unless you're being silly, nobody would say, huh, I'd rather be the servant. I'd rather be the doorkeeper. I'd rather be the, the coffee cream guy <laughs> than to be royalty. I think 10 out of 10 would say, I'd choose royalty over servanthood any day and every day of the week. And why is that? Because as you look at royalty and you look at servanthood, which one do you think is great and which one do you think is lowly? Which one do you think is first and which one do you think is last? And the answer is obvious in our mind in the way that we have been trained to think about the world. If you have everything and everybody doing everything for you, you are great. And if you're the one doing everything, then you're the last and the lowliest and the least. That's how we've been trained to think. That's how the world shows us what greatness is. But is that true greatness? Is being royal and having servants what it means to be great? Or is it being a servant of all? That's the question. 
And I think that, that Jesus is going to show us here that this is one of the biggest differences between the world and Christianity. That Christianity doesn't view greatness and measure greatness in the same way that the world does. We view greatness, or Jesus views greatness, in a different way than everybody else. And we need to have our minds retrained to, to, to think of what it really means to be great. Because when I said how to be a great Christian, you're probably thinking on pedestals. And you're probably thinking somebody who's looked up to and, and somebody who's behind a pulpit and preaching. But is that what Jesus thinks when he talks about greatness? Because as we turn to this passage today, we see a totally different idea of greatness in the mind of Jesus. His kingdom is different. They asked him, you don't have to turn there, but in in Matthew chapter 18, they came to him. And this is where this whole thing started. Verse 1, if you want to look at it. So at the same time, there came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's Matthew 18, verse 1. Who's the greatest? This is where it started. Who's going to be the the top notch in your kingdom? And what did he say? He he totally switched it on them. Because they thought it would be the the one who had had everything. But he said, no, no, except you be converted and become as a little child. You've got to be like a child. You've got to be lowly and least and last to be great. So then you turn to chapter 19 and it's the same story. In chapter 19, you have the children that come to him and are pushed away. And you have the rich young ruler or is accepted and the rich young ruler that is pushed away. And he says the same thing. It's the lowliest and the least and the last that are great in my kingdom and not those who you think are great. At the end of chapter 19, he says, the first are last and the last shall be first. He's been teaching the same thing over and over and over, trying to get it through the disciples' minds of what true greatness really is. And they've been resistant to it, fighting against it. They're like us. They are thinking of greatness in the world's way instead of in Christ's way. So he's got he's to change their minds. He's got to change the way they're thinking that they shouldn't be seeking prominence and greatness in the way the world thinks. They should be doing it in the way that he says. Before he can leave and, and, and ascend into heaven, he's got to make sure his disciples know what true greatness is. So that's what he's going to do here again in, in, this, in this passage. He's going to show us what real greatness is. A lesson they must learn. A lesson that I think we all must learn of what greatness is in God's eyes, not the world's eyes. So what I want to do today, I want to show you how to be great. And I'm just going to give you two points. I know, eight verses, two points. I want to show you how to be a great Christian. And here's my outline. The first point is the wrong way to be great. The world's way to be great. What we all think greatness is, the wrong way. And then I want to show you at the end, I want to show you the right way to greatness. So that's two easy points for us to outline this with. I've seen several ways to outline this, but I think splitting it up in in the wrong way and the right way to greatness is the simplest way to look at it. So let's look at the number one. Let's look at the wrong way, the wrong way to be great. Starting there in verse 20, I want to show you that greatness isn't about who you know. Greatness isn't about who you know. Because you have in verse 20 there, it says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. So they come to Jesus, and, and he asks, what do, you, what do you want? And, and she says, well, I want you to give my two sons the seats, one on your right and one on your left in the kingdom. She's the mother of James and John. And she comes to Jesus wanting seats of authority for her boys. 
Think of it in this way. You had a king who would sit on his throne and he'd be, have the highest seat in the land. And then the two seats on the side would be like the vice president and the chief of staff. It'd be the two, uh, the, they'd be right under the president. They, they'd be right under the one who's sitting at the top of the throne. So she comes to Jesus and she says, I want my boys to have the one on the left and the one on the right. I want them to have seats of prominence so that when people look at you, they automatically look at my sons. Uh, this is a very ambitious mother. She's coming to Jesus with high aspirations for her children and she was sent there by her boys think about it this is why I say it's not who you know this lady it says this come to them the mother of Zebedee's children her name is Salome she's James and John's mom and she's not only James and John's mom she's Mary which is Jesus's mother Mary's sister so if we're thinking about this in a family way if Salome is Mary's sister. What does that make Salome to Jesus? And so James and John are sitting there trying to figure out how they can get seats of prominence. They're sitting there thinking, how can we climb the ladder of success and get above everybody else so that we have the left seat and the right seat so that we're in a place where everybody thinks we're great just like Jesus is? How can we get up there? And they're sitting there thinking about it and they're thinking, guess what? We're closest to Him. We're on the Mount of Transfiguration with Him and we're family. We're going to get our mom and we're going to send our mom to ask Him if He'll give us the seats of prominence. And he can't turn down his aunt. I mean, he loves his aunt. She's, she's family. Family's got the automatic in. He, and these guys are playing the, the family card. I mean, I, I've got aunts and I love them. If they come, I've got, I've got an aunt here this morning. She comes to me and said, Josh, I need you to do this for me. I'd probably do it for her before I'd do it for anybody else. You say, that's a family card. You know that? It's not about who you are. It's about who you know, right? If you know somebody that has a high seat, a high place. That'll get you to greatness. So they say, hey mom, you're the aunt. Go ask Jesus if you'll give us the seats. And she does. And when she gets there, she, she bows down. And, and she's, she's kind of sucking up to him and, and, and kind of brown nosing with him. And, and she, she bows down and she says, I'm asking you for a seat for my boys. Not because they deserve it, but because you know who I am. Because we're connected. Because we're family. Surely Jesus won't turn down family. But does he? He says, what wilt thou? And she said unto him, grant that these my, my boys may sit the one on the right hand and the one on the left. She thinks, they think, that their connection to Jesus by family will get them to the highest seat in the land. Again, that's how the world works, is it not? The world says it's all about who you know. The world says it's all about your connections. The world says the better your references, the better chance you have to get a job. Every single one of us has been passed over for a job. Everybody in here probably. Because somebody else not was better than you, more qualified than you, but because they knew somebody you didn't know. Or, we'll say it this way, many of us in here might have even gotten a job because of who you knew. That we climb the ladder of success or the ladder of greatness because of the connections that we have. And Jesus here says that's not how it works. That may work in the world, but that does not work in the kingdom of God. 
Greatness isn't in who you know or who you're close to or what family you were born into. And you see that uh, all over again, all over the world. And, and even in churches, it's, it's, it's who your family you're born into and who you know. And you'll get this position and you'll have this power and all these. It's political too. I mean, you see, the family in, in, in politics just keep on passing it down the line. Not because of how qualified they are, but because of who they were born into. That's how it works in the world. That's how you get greatness in the world. But that's not how you get greatness in the kingdom. That's the wrong way to greatness. Connections are the wrong way to, to greatness. It's not about who you know. Number, n- number two under this. It's not about what you can do. Again, get this. Greatness isn't about who you know. Greatness isn't about what you can do. He says here, and Jesus answered and said, you don't even know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? He asked them straightforward. You, you want to be great? Can you do what I do? Can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of, which is the, the cup of the wrath of Almighty God that He's going to go to the cross and, and drink of? This is talking about His suffering. Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? He's going to be baptized into death? Can you do that? He's laying a challenge out in front of them. Do you really think you can be great? You're going to have to do this then. You're going to have to take it up a notch. He's, he's laying it down there for them. You're going to have to walk the path that I'm walking. And they look at him and they say, what do they say there in verse 22? They say to him, yeah, we can. Yes, we are able. They have great confidence in themselves, overconfidence in what they can do. They have no idea what they're saying, but they're sure they can do it. I mean, they're sitting there thinking, I don't know what cut means. I don't know what that cup and, and baptism means. But whatever you ask us to do, we can do. Whatever you want us to do, we can achieve it. Very ambitious, very confident. We can do whatever it takes. We can accomplish anything. We can climb to the top. That's the way it is in the world. Ambition. I can do whatever it takes to be great. I can do whatever it takes to climb the ladder of success. Yes, I can. Yes, I'm able. I can can do whatever I set my mind to. And Jesus said unto them, Yeah, you'll you'll drink of the cup. And you'll be baptized with the baptism. What he's saying there is, yeah, you're going to suffer and you're going to die. James is is the first one killed in Acts chapter 12. And John is outcast of the island of Patmos. So yeah, they, they will. It'll happen to them, but he says, that's not how you're going to get greatness. Look what he says. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it's only given to them who is prepared of my father. So he says, that's not how you get it either. That's the wrong way. Ambition, confidence is not the way to greatness. He says, those seats aren't mine to give. It's the Father's place. He'll give out those seats. It's not my place. And you can't get it doing what you're doing and how you're doing it with overconfidence. It's not, it's not what you can do. Your ability or your ambition, that's not going to get you greatness. That works in the world, that works in the world, don't it? If I want to get to the top, I'll just work my way to the top. I can do whatever it takes to get there. But in Christ's kingdom, he says, that ain't going to work. That's good news. You're sitting here today and you say, I, I want to be great. I want to be a great Christian, but I don't know who I need to know. No, no, no. He's wiped that out. It's not about who you know. 
Oh, I, I can't work hard enough to do it. He says, no, 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 no. It's not about how hard you work. It's not about a can-do attitude. Those things are wiped out. I got you another one. What's this? It's not about who you can beat. This is a good one. I mean, so, so we've seen that. It's not who you know. It's not how hard you can work. That's your confidence. It's not even about beating the competition. Look at verse 24. <laughs> and when the ten heard it, they got mad because of the two brothers. You see that? They were moved with indignation. They were, they were mad. They were fired up. Were they saying James and John shouldn't ask that question? No, they're mad because James and John got to Jesus before they could get to Jesus. This was a competition to them. And they, they were constantly trying to, to one-up each other. They were tr constantly trying to step over each other. In Matthew 17, the, the four went to the top of Mount Transfiguration with Jesus. And when they came down, they were arguing. You guys got to go and we didn't get to go. And they're, they're competing and they're arguing and they're, they're fighting. I want to be great. No, I want to be great. I'm better than you are. No, I'm better than you are. And they're constantly competing against each other. And the other ten are sitting there saying, how dare they send Salome, Aunt Salome? How dare they do that? How, they, how dare they, they beat us to the punch? How dare James and John wanted to turn the twelve disciples into the, the two disciples? They were jealous. They wanted the exact same thing. They were mad. They were trying to beat each other. They were jockeying for position, climbing over top of each other, and they didn't care who they stepped on to get it. Does that not sound like the world? I don't know if you guys are with me or here or not. This is exactly how the world thinks about greatness. Who you know, how hard you can work, and who you've got to step on to get there. James and John stepping over the other ten. The other ten trying to step over James and John. Peter's in there. Peter's probably the same thing, just sitting back there whispering, I can't believe that, 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 that they're family. They're, they're going to get in there. I can't believe they think they can, they can get there, but, and I can't. That they think they're better than I am. Well, this is in Christianity everywhere. It's in churches. Look around, drive by parking lots. Ah, they don't have as many as I do. I'm better than they are. Right? I mean, it's everywhere. Facebook has been a terrible thing for preachers because you get to hear all the other preachers and you know what you do when you listen to preachers? You critique other preachers so that you think you're better than other preachers. Well, that was a terrible sermon. I'm better than he is. Right? That's what we do. That's not what greatness is in the kingdom. We're not stepping over each other. We're not climbing on top of each other. We're not kicking because when you climb over somebody, you have to kick somebody else down. And that's not what Christianity is. We're not about trying to get greatness of our own with, while pushing everybody else down. That I'll be first and you'll be last. That's not how it works in the church. That might be how it works in the world, but that's not how it works in Christ's kingdom. It's not about who you know. It's not about how hard you work. And it's not about who you can beat. Who you're better than. It's not a competition. We're sitting here today and I'm, I'm saying, how can you be great? And you're sitting there thinking, I hope everybody else doesn't hear this so I can be great and everybody else can't be. That's not how this works. The symbol of Christianity is a cross, not a ladder. We're not climbing to the top over top of everybody else. We're not trying to beat everybody else. I'm not trying to beat the pastor down the road. 
We're the pastor on this side of the road. We're not trying to be a, a bigger and better church than everybody else. It's not a competition. That's how it is in the world. And get this, this isn't the end of it. These guys will fight for the top spot all the way to the cross. I don't have to take you to the upper room when they got there and they, you know what they said? Who's going to be great? Who's the greatest? I mean, they, they just keep on asking that. It works in the world. We see it all the time. But it doesn't work in the Christ kingdom. It's the wrong way. And I've got one more for you before we move on. It's not who you know. I'm trying to help us be great. You don't have to know anybody to be great. The only one you have to know to be great is Jesus. You don't have to know anybody. You don't have to be born into the right family. It's not who you know. It's not how hard you work. It's not who you can beat. And it's not who you can control. Look what it says. Verse 25. I'm going pretty good through this. But Jesus called unto them and said, You know the princes of the Gentiles. They exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. He says, You guys know this. It's common knowledge. This is how the world works. This is how... Princes of the world rule. This is how the great men of the world act. And that's what it says there. The princes of the, of the Gentiles and the, the, those that are great, those that, that, are, that are the high and mighty that you look at, those that are the, the big shots, the great men of the world. This is how they act. This is how they behave themselves. And how do they do it? Look what it says. They exercise dominion and they exercise authority. This is how the Romans acted. This is how the Caesars acted. This is how, this is how Pilate acted. This is how Herod acted. This is how those who, who get in a position of power, this is how they behave. This is the end result. If you're going to climb that ladder about who you know, how hard you can work, and who you can beat, you get to the top of the ladder and you look down on everybody else and how do you treat them? Look what it says. You exercise dominion and you exercise authority. You know what that means? You become a dictator. You rule with an iron thumb. You lord your power over everybody else. You're domineering. You throw your weight around. You intimidate those who are beneath you. That's what he's saying. That's how they act. Those who think they're great in the world's eyes, this is how they behave. You know that's how they behave, he says. They try to control everybody and everything. Isn't that how we see greatness in the world? Somebody who's climbed all the way to the top of the ladder and they now look down on everybody else and they tell them what they must do and what they can't do. They exercise authority over them. We see that in politics in America. They call themselves public servants is what our politicians call themselves. But I think they've forgotten that they're public servants and they have become dictators telling everybody what they're supposed to do. Because something happens when you get in a position of power that you start thinking you can tell everybody what they need to be doing. And we've seen that in America right now. Give them a little bit of power and they become more powerful and they think they can do anything they want to do and nobody's going to stop them and they're way up here and everybody else is down here. These little peasants and I can tell them whatever I want them to do. 
That's how the world sees power, is it not? Exactly. You even see it in churches sometimes. It shouldn't be that way, but you have a pastor that, oh, and I try my best and I pray that, that God would never let me be that way. A pastor that climbs to the top of the pulpit and thinks that he can speak down to and tell everybody in the pews what they're supposed to be doing. That's not greatness. Not in God's eyes, it's not. In the world's eyes, that's greatness. Queen of England telling all of her servants what to do. Politicians telling all their constituents what to do. Do this, be here, wear that. Exercising authority over them. Greatness, right? The world is full of this type. The church is full of this type. Have you ever had a domineering preacher? And don't you ever, don't point fingers at me. <laughs> You've seen it? Businesses are full of this type, are they not? You ever had a boss like this? All of a sudden he's the boss and he tells everybody, I'm the boss. <laughs> he's the boss and he wants everybody to know he's the boss. And he bosses everybody around. I've had bosses like that. Get this. There's fathers like that and husbands like that. They think they're great because they can tell everybody else what to do. I've got to be careful here, but there's, this is in sports. Climb to the top of the ladder and the greatest coaches are the ones that tell everybody what to do. Right? You had coaches like that? Yeah. And we look at them, oh, they're so great. They won by telling everybody what to do. Be in your place. Be on time. And it's domineering. We say, yes, love that type. Great. In the world's eyes. Bosses, yes. Look at the bottom line. They've got us money. Yes. Politicians, yes. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. We love that guy. Powerful. And get this. It works in the world. It does. It'll take your business to new heights. You'll control your family. You'll keep your wife in line. <laughs> keep your kids in line. Kids scared to death of you. Keep your team in line. Win a Super Bowl. <laughs> right? Pastor like that will run the church. Keep everybody in line. Dress this way. You know? <laughs> I mean, you've seen it. It's the way the world works. But it doesn't work that way in God's kingdom. Because you're sitting there thinking, well, what's wrong with all that, Josh? That's not how God works. That's not greatness in God's kingdom. So let me, let me summarize real quick. It's not who you know. So if you don't know anybody and you're not born into the right family, you can still be great in God's eyes. It's not how hard you work. It's not who you can beat. And it's not who you have control over. That's how the world sees greatness. And we need to see, be retrained in our mind that that's not greatness. That's the Queen of England, is it not? I mean, she, she was born into the right family. It wasn't who she was and how qualified she is. No matter how much I love the Queen of England and, and watching the, uh, and reading about the, the royalty in England, she, didn't, she didn't, wasn't qualified for that. It was, it was about who she knew. 
It was. It was about what she could do. It was about who she could beat. It was about how much control she could have. And we all look at her as, as great. That's how our minds see greatness. God says, that's not greatness in my kingdom. You say, well, what is greatness in his kingdom? Watch this. Because now we go from the wrong way to greatness to the right way to greatness. And it starts in verse 26. The right way to greatness. He says, look at this. This is the transition point. But it shall not be so among you. Do you see that? That's the transition point. That's not how we behave ourselves. That's, that's probably my favorite part of the, of the whole passage. It shall not be that way among my disciples. When I leave and I ascend into heaven, this is, how, this is not how I'm going to let you guys act. This is not how, how disciples act. This is not how Christians act. This is not the way it is in the church. It shall not be that way among you. It's not about connections. It's not about confidence. It's not about competition. It's not about control. This isn't greatness in my eyes. You say, well, what is? John 18, 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So he says, watch this. But whoever wants to be great, and you love the word whosoever, because what he's saying here is anybody in here can be great. Because it's not about what family you're born into. It's not about how hard you work. It's not about who you beat. It's not about who you can control. If whoever wants to be great, whoever, anybody who wants to be great, and he goes on there down to the second line, he says, and whosoever will be first. So here it is. If you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to be first in the kingdom, then how do you do it? You see this? This is wonderful. You serve. I mean... Let him be your servant. You see that? That's the word, the word minister. You get this. The word minister here is the word diakonos. The same word we get the word deacon from. And a deacon is, and I've, I've got my deacons here in the church and I love them to death. The word deacon means someone who waits tables. A servant. Someone who brings water. Someone who comes to your table at a restaurant and says, can I fill up your drink? Someone who, after you leave and you've left all your stuff laying on the table at a restaurant and they're the ones coming with the, the, the to clean up the table and, to, and to, to, to wipe it down and to sweep up where your kids have thrown everything under the table. You guys, if you don't have kids, you don't understand. Most of what we eat ends up down under the table. I feel so sorry for the bus boys that come in there and they're like, ugh. Sweeping under the table, down on their knees with rags, trying to clean where my kids have been. That's what this is. If you want to be great, be lowly. Be a servant. Spend your life giving to others. That's what it says. And get this, everybody in here can do that. Servants aren't Born into a special family. Servants don't think they can climb to the top. Servants aren't trying to beat other servants. Have you ever seen another servant trying to be a bus boy? I'll beat you to it. <laughs> that table's mine. <laughs> no. Servant. And then he goes on a little bit further and he says, well, Whosoever shall be chief, which is the word protos, which is first among you, let him be. And he changes the word. 
from minister, which is dekonos, to servant, which is doulos. You guys love the Greek, right? You just you love it. Minister is dekonos, servant is doulos, and that word doulos is bond slave. Get this, and I'm going to keep using the Greek. Minister dekonos is is a servant that's about right here. Doulos slave is the lowest of the low. There's nobody any lower in society than a slave. They're owned. They, they are at the beck and call of, of everybody else. Everybody else is above them, so they must do what everybody else tells them to do. That's a, a doulos. You're owned. You have no rights. Servants look down at slaves. Everybody's your master. Nobody is beneath you. A slave is the lowest rung on the ladder. Do you get that? We're not trying to climb the ladder. He says if you want to be great, go down the ladder. Get in the elevator. Push the little red button that takes you as low as you can go and go to the bottom floor. That's how you're great. Wow. Does that not change the way you think about things? Be lowly. It shows here that the path to greatness in God's eyes is through service. It's through serving others. It's through getting dirty and doing the gross things. Greatness is doing the gross things. Greatness isn't trying to climb it, it's trying to go down it. It is to regard everybody else as better than yourself. Philippians 2.3 Everybody's better than me. Philippians 2.3, everybody's better than me. I'm higher than nobody. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. I'm just a nobody. That, that, that's what he's saying here. I'm the lowest rung on the ladder. I'm a servant. I'm a dikion diakonos. I'm a, I'm a doulos. I'm low, lowly, last, least. I'm at the bottom. That's who we are. The path to greatness is through selflessness. It's through sacrifice. It's through service. You must be willing to be last and to be lowly and to be least. And that's in the church. I'll be practical. It's in the church. We're not climbing to be up in, in the highest place in the church. We're down in the bathroom trying to clean it. That's greatness. Last Sunday, and I'm, I'm hurrying. Last Sunday, first Sunday after Christmas, low attendance, struggles, and then we had snow and ice and cold, and I went outside before everybody got here, and I grabbed me a shovel and a broom, and I was trying to clean up snow, and my little boy Isaiah came to me and said, Dad, let me do it. I don't want to do that. And I thought to myself, I didn't tell him this, first time I'm telling him. I said, God, let my boy have that servant's heart his entire life. Let him take the broom. Let him take the shovel. Let him take the weed eater. Let him, let him, let him take the plunger. Let him do the lowly things because the lowliest of things in serving the church is where you find greatness. Amen. You can even go into the mothers in the church. The, the, the ladies in the church that, that aren't up in front being seen and being heard but at home, they're doing the dirty work of taking care of the kids, taking care of the husband, 
that nobody ever talks about and nobody ever mentions. In my eyes, and in Proverbs 31, that's greatness. There's nothing like taking care of a home. In parenting, you know what you know what a great father does? He serves his kids. You know what a great husband does? He serves his wife. A great great husband isn't domineering over his wife. He's reaching down and serving his wife. How can I serve you today? And the same thing for a wife. The way to be a great father is service. The way to be a great husband is service. The way to be a great Christian is service. You say, well, that's asking an awful lot. (laughs) I mean, you could go, I don't have time to do it, but you could go through most of the letters that Paul wrote, and as he begins his letter, he says, to the church at Ephesus, from Paul, a doulos of Christ, a slave of Christ. Paul to the church at Colossae, from Paul, a doulos of Christ. Over and over and over, that's how they saw themselves, as nothing but lowly servants. You say, that's a lot to ask. But Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything he doesn't do. Watch this. I think this is one of the great verses in all the Bible. Because it says, whosoever shall be, but shall not be so among you, but whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. And then he gives us the example. And Jesus would never ask us to do something that he didn't do himself. Just as, see that, even as the Son of Man, and I don't want to get into it, but the Son of Man here is his humble name. Is his earthly name. He could, have here, he could have right here said, and I, I know this isn't a big point, but he could have said, even as the Son of the Most High. You, were you with me there? He could have said, even as the Sovereign Son of God. He could have, he could have uh, I mean, name dropped there and said, you know who I am. But he used his lowly, humble, incarnate name, Son of Man. Son of the dust. Even as a Son of Man. Came not to be served. You with me there? Jesus who was before in heaven being served and worshipped by angels throughout all eternity past came into this world and if anybody could have demanded royal treatment it would have been Jesus. He could have sit on a throne on earth as the sovereign son of God and had everybody around him serve him day and night and he would have deserved every single bit of it. But he didn't do that. The son of man came not to be served, to look down on. You get me? He could have worked. He could have used his name and said, I'm the son of God. He could have competed and said, nobody can beat me. And he could have stood above everybody else and domineered over all. And he will one day. But when he came, he came not to be served, but to serve. You see that? 
He came as a deacon. He came to wait tables. He came to sweep under people's feet. He came to clean. That's what He came to do. The one who was at the highest position came to the lowest position. The one at the top of the ladder is now at the bottom of the ladder. Wow! He came and He spent His whole life serving others. You never see Him in the Gospels being served. He heals other people. You, you with me? Lepers. People that nobody would touch and He touches and heals. He fed thousands. And He would go around and with His hands make it and serve it. Make it and serve it. He was the cook and the waiter and the cleaner and the sweeper. He was doing it all. Lowliest of low. He served. And then at the end of his life, the last night of his life, he took off his outer coat, put a towel around his waist, got on his knees, and he wiped and cleaned the nastiest feet you could ever find. Fishermen feet in a desert. And he got down and he wiped their feet and he cleaned their feet and, and oh nasty, oh dirty, oh dusty feet. That's what Jesus did. Not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came not to be in the position of the queen or a king, but to be in the position of a servant. And that was his heart. He didn't get up in the morning saying, to serve some people today. He woke up in the morning with, who can I serve today? What a great verse. And then he went even further. I think this is an absolutely phenomenal, breathtaking passage. Look what it says. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And I would underline the word and because it takes it a step further. Can you get lower than a minister and a slave and a doulos and a diaconos? Can, can you get lower than that? There is a rung lower. What is the rung lower? Here's the rung lower. And to give his life. He didn't just come to serve and be an example of how we ought to serve. He came to die. He came to give his life freely and willingly to lay it down and to die. You with me? This is unfathomable that he who was the highest comes down here as the Son of Man. And then takes it a step lower and becomes a servant of man. And then becomes a slave of man. And then becomes the substitution for man. Wow. It says that he gave his life a ransom. This is the first time that word ransom is used in the entire Bible. And it, and it means to pay the price for another. That there is one enslaved, imprisoned, on their way to death, and another comes along and pays the ransom price to buy them back. And that's what he did for us. And that price that he paid was the greatest price that has ever been paid to purchase anything in the history of the world. 
First Peter 1 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed or you were not bought with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you were bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he paid the greatest price to save us and redeem us out of the prison of sin, out of the prison of hell. And he paid the price to get us out. He laid down his life so that we could be saved. And it says there, he did it for who? For, in the place of, on behalf of, as a substitute for the many. It doesn't say for one, because usually when one paid for another, it was a one for one purchase. And it wasn't a one for one. He didn't die just for one. He didn't die just for a few. He didn't die just for a handful. He died for the many. And that many is 10,000 times 10,000, a multitude, an incomparable number that nobody could ever count. That Jesus in His life, with His blood, paid the ultimate price so that many could be saved and come into the kingdom. Wow, what He did. Jesus died for the many. He drank every last drop of the cup of the wrath of Almighty God for the many. This is the heart of the Bible. That Jesus died for us. That He stood in the place of us. That He bore our sins and He shed His blood for us. And this makes Him the greatest man to ever live. Are you with me on this? How to be great, He says, is to serve. Is to become a slave. Is to suffer. Is to bring yourself to the lowest point that you can bring yourself. That's greatness. And if Jesus, who was at the highest of highs, brought himself to the lowest of lows to serve, nobody was ever as high as he was, and nobody ever went as low as he went. So in doing that, Jesus became the greatest man to ever live. Philippians 2. And I have to ask you to turn there. I mean, you, 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 ha- you, you can't... Hear this, and, and I know that some of you are sitting there thinking, Josh, go to Philippians. Josh, go to Philippians. Maybe some of you were, and maybe some of you are saying, Josh, in the sermon. Josh, in the sermon. Philippians chapter 2. You, you have to get this. I've already quoted verse 3. But watch this. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. <laughs> Don't let anything be done with it's competition, trying to climb the ladder. Don't let anything be done with, with you trying to, to be the greatest. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Everybody's better than me. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So there's a command, and here's the example. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being fully and truly divine. You get that? He's in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He, he didn't hold on to it. He let go of it. But made himself of no reputation. Made himself nothing. Emptied himself. And took upon himself the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Even lower. And became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. And because He went that low, wherefore, for this reason, God has now, you with me? 
Because that's what God does. If you humble yourself, He will exalt you. If you become a servant, He will lift you up. Servanthood leads to greatness. There is no crown without a cross. There's no success without some sacrifice. So wherefore, God has now highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. And that is music to my ears. The name Jesus. All glory be to Christ, our King. We sang it this morning. It should be music to your ears. That He did this for us. All glory be to Christ. A name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things even under the earth. Everybody's going to bow to Jesus. Yeah. Everything's going to be lower than Jesus. That's how high He is. Even the Queen of England will bring her rod and throw her crown and bow her knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that every tongue should, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Worldwide dominion. That makes Him the greatest man to ever live. And if we want to be great, He is the supreme example for us all. You say, Josh, what do you got to do to be great? Follow Jesus. Follow His example. That's what He says. That's the example. That's what the Scripture tells us to do. Follow the example of the Son of Man. But understand, if we want to be like Jesus, and we are, we're called Christians. I remember when we named Christian Christian. My pastor asked me, he said, what do you want to name the new little boy? I said, me and Steph love the name Christian. And he said, you know he's going to have a lot to live up to. I said, I, yeah, I know. He said, that name means little Christ. And I want him to be just like Christ. But not just him, but every single one of us ought to want to be just like Christ because it's the only way to greatness. But if we're going to follow Christ, we must understand that Jesus had a wilderness and Jesus had a Judas and Jesus had a Gethsemane and Jesus had a cross and we will too if we follow him. But it's the only path to greatness is by following Jesus. So in closing, I'll give you two calls. There's two calls in this passage. One, there's a call to be saved. And if there's somebody in here who has never been saved, you're an unbeliever, and you look at this and see what he did for you, I don't know how you don't come running. Not because of the sermon I preached, but because of the service and sacrifice that he gave. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Look to Jesus Look to his sacrifice and the ransom that was paid and believe upon him and you'll be saved. The ransom, the blood that he shed is enough to save anybody in here who wants to believe. There's an old song and I, I don't want to sing it, but I have a hard time quoting the lyrics without singing it. It says, it's still the blood that saves from sin. It's still the blood that cleanses within. From the highest star in heaven to the depths of the sea, 
It's still the blood of Jesus that brings victory to me. Look to the price that was paid for you and be saved. And if you don't, there's a cup of wrath that waits for you in hell. He drank it dry when he went to the cross. The Bible says all the way down to the dregs, the last little bit, all the wrath of God, he drank it dry. But if you refuse to believe in his son, there's a cup of God's wrath waiting for you in hell and you'll have to drink it. And you'll be baptized into the suffering flames of hell. Not into the waters, but into the flames. So I urge you today, call on you today, run to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Because he's the only way of salvation. Nobody else ever did what he did so that you could be saved. Again, I'm just a nobody. That's the truth. I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody about somebody who will save anybody. Amen. So run to Jesus. Call number two is a call to serve. Make 2021 a year of service where you wake up every morning and say, who can I serve today? What can I do today? Make that your heart. Pray with me today as we pray. God, give me a servant's heart that I would go about my life never thinking I'm too good to do anything. God, help me to serve. God, help me to serve. And may that be our hearts today as we come into the new year because it's the only way to be a great Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us here this morning. I, th I think it was a great passage uh, showing us the path to greatness in, in the kingdom. It's a path that not many walk because our minds, God, have been trained to think of greatness in another way. So God, I pray that you'd Use this sermon to, to transform our minds. That we would see greatness as service. Greatness as following Christ. Help us, God. Make us servants. Make me a servant. Make my children servants. Make my wife a servant in your kingdom. Make the people of this church servants. May we all try to serve each other and serve our community. I pray that people look at our church and say, man, they don't care to get down on their knees and serve. They work, they labor in service of their king. That people wouldn't look at our church and think that we think we're better than anybody else because we're not. We're just a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody who will save anybody. And I pray, God, if there's anybody in this service today or watching online that's an unbeliever, that today they'll put their faith in you. They'll come running and plead, God, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And I believe that today the blood of Christ is sufficient to save them. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.